There's a so-called missing middle in the funding market for infrastructure-based technology assets. Too risky for traditional infrastructure players and too complex for most venture capital firms, only a handful of investors have traditionally been involved in the market. But that's changing. In this edition of Spotlight, we'll sit down with John Spertos of Macquarie Capital Venture Studio, Jonathan Weiner of Sidewalk Infrastructure Partners, Matthew Morgan of Infratech Growth Partners, and Dan Ahn of Morrison & Co's portfolio company, Clear Vision Ventures, to explore who is investing in Infratech. I'm Isabel O'Brien with Infrastructure Investor. The overlap between technology and real assets is small, and Infratech occupies most of that space. Odds are it hasn't found its way into your infra portfolio. But you may be surprised to hear that it hasn't made its way into many venture capital portfolios either. Jonathan Weiner, the co-CEO of Sidewalk Infrastructure Partners, which says its mission is to apply technology to infrastructure systems to make them more sustainable, resilient, and inclusive, knows why. If you have a new idea for a new type of mobility system, a new energy efficiency technology, um, there's no shortage, even in, in the current market environment, of risk capital to develop new technologies. But the challenge with that risk capital is it, it typically does not want to participate in developing hard assets. You know, right now, if you have traditional infrastructure systems, uh, whether that's greenfield, brownfield operating, um, that fit quite neatly into sort of a traditional infrastructure asset class, there are dozens of very, very significant and strong core and core plus infrastructure funds. But those those funds, you know, they don't want to take technology risk, right? They're trying to take as little risk as possible to get a sort of a core or core plus style infrastructure return. If Sidewalk Infrastructure Partners or SIP sounds familiar to you, it's probably because you've read Infrastructure Investors 2019 piece covering its launch. Big tech is coming for Infra 3.0. But on the off chance that you haven't, Weiner explains. SIP was actually started at Alphabet. And so SIP was a team that was part of Sidewalk Labs, really asking in four critical areas, are there innovations that could you know build more sustainable and more inclusive cities? And it's part of the reason we launched SIP was I, th- I think that there's a real gap or a real need for people who can lean into a particular type of financing for new infrastructure. Where on the one hand, you have a, a bunch of really interesting innovation happening in new sustainable infrastructure. On the other end, once that sustainable infrastructure gets to sort of stabilize core, core plus returns and scale, there's plenty of scalability capital. But that initial capital to take new technology into the field to innovate with sort of a flexible mandate that can both help develop that technology, but also provide the project capital to help deploy it. It's a particular skill set. You have to be able to understand and diligence and, and get comfortable with technology risk. That's relatively rare. I mean, there, there are a few folks to do it, but um, not many. One of those few players is Matthew Morgan. I run Infratech Growth Partners. It's based in Australia. We're a sort of late stage venture growth equity investor in Infratech companies. We typically do series B and C from our own capital, and then we syndicate with other investors for series C or growth equity rounds. The type of businesses that I would generally see could be anywhere from 4 million in revenue up to 20. You know, they are either mildly profitable or on the cusp of profitability. As a former Kaufman fellow, Morgan is about as traditionally venture capital as you can get. But he spends much of his time in the fringe infotech space. And I, and I think what attracted me to the space was that uh, it, it falls in between the cracks a little. It doesn't grow fast enough. Potentially, the end user base is not large enough for traditional venture investment. And it's a little bit early for your traditional growth equity investors. So Infratech Growth Partners isn't really infrastructure growth capital or venture capital, but it brings elements of both worlds with it through its founders. 
I've teamed up with Ross Israel. Ross founded the QIC program in Australia and uh, another colleague of his, Tibor Schwartz, and the three of us formed Infotech Growth Partners really to pursue some personal interests around technology investing that's that's well and truly out of scope for the QIC infrastructure portfolio. And Ross is a large infrastructure investor, I guess, and Tibor is a technology advisor in that space. They probably see the needs from the world of the infra investor and the infra asset owner. I see uh, a very large amount of technology, both through my direct contacts and my history through the Kaufman program. So private market players like SIP and Infratech Growth Partners have found themselves operating between two worlds, venture capital and infrastructure investing, and they don't have many peers adding to their capital mix. It's only natural, then, that Infratech companies have turned to SPACs, or Special Purpose Acquisition Corporations, to raise capital on public markets and then scale in recent years. Danon is a managing partner of Clear Vision Ventures. He says that SPACs have unfolded like any other Wall Street phenomenon. It always go through sort of a boom and bust period, in my view, and then a normalization phase. And we're in the bust period, clearly, right? So there was a boom period where a lot of SPACs are being raised. And they're really taking companies out into the public markets that really should not be public companies. Many of them had no revenues at all. And a lot of technical engineering risk still associated with them. And that probably is not appropriate for a public company, in my view. But An is not entirely SPAC skeptic. I don't think the SPAC market just goes away. I think it just normalizes, becomes more selective. You have to companies with better fundamentals, more mature, and they're just ready to be public from a governance and reporting and predictability standpoint. An's company, Clear Vision Ventures, is a venture capital firm that has Infratech front and center in its portfolio. It's also owned by infrastructure investor Morrison & Co. So it may seem like a standard BC firm, but it too has input from the infrastructure world. So Morrison manages funds and assets and mandates on behalf of their clients. And they manage a mandate through which they are an LP, a limited partner and investor in our funds. So the managing company that manages essentially an investment, an LP, limited partner interest in our funds. Morrison & Co. is, according to our 2022 rankings, a top 100 infrastructure investor based out of New Zealand and operating globally. And the firm isn't the only infra-giant looking to increase its exposure to infratech. And a while ago, we, we started this concept of the venture studio, which sort of catalyzed part of what we were doing in a more formal sense in that we were working with early stage infrastructure companies for a very long time. That's John Spertos. I'm a senior advisor in Macquarie Capital. Macquarie Venture Capital Studio is, just as it sounds, the in-house VC wing of the world's largest infrastructure investor and asset manager. We've been investing in the infrastructure space for over 50 years since inception of the bank. So our venture studio was largely devoted to early stage, what are called series A type companies. And our normal bread and butter is typically sort of series B, series C, a little bit further along. Just because we're a large institution, we like to write slightly bigger checks than normal. So Macquarie has brought its InfraTech business in-house, and Morrison & Co. has outsourced it. When we look at investments... Dan Onigan. Since most all of them are relevant in some way to one of Morrison & Co.'s holdings, <laughs> we generally do talk to them to get a sense of, hey, here's a new company. It's a new technology company. Is this something that... XYZ company that you happen to own or invest in would want to use. So it's a good way of checking whether the mainstream market is ready to adopt this kind of new technology. 
in-house or outsourced, these relationships are synergistic by nature. Longer term, we look at what technology trends are happening that might make areas of investable infrastructure in the future investable, but maybe not so today. Example, historical example would be we were discussing the area of data centers with them years ago before they made their first data center investment through Infertil, which is a Canberra data centers, which was a, a new area for them, data centers. I think most everyone, I think they're, that was early on in the days of thinking about data centers as infrastructure, and I think that's worked out well. And then the final area might be, are there areas of infrastructure where, you know, if you look at the technology trends, should it be an area where they avoid or divest them too, right? That it's going to be disrupted and no longer attractive down the road. That goes from Macquarie too. Here's Spertos again. It doesn't always have to be synergistic with a project we're working on. In fact, in most cases, it isn't because it's such a large industry. The very macro end, we build bridges, roads, ports, airports. These technologies aren't going to change the bridge, the port, the airport, so to speak, in any material way, but they might be included in the concrete that is used to lay down a tarmac or the steel that is the element of rebar for a construction site or the materials that are used in the context of delivering packaged goods to people that are working in these particular environments. So we'll still work on the larger project, but the interesting opportunities to actually insert the technology in some part of the supply chains. And we made some investments in the energy sustainability autonomy sector, and we basically mated them with capital, our access to institutional customer bases and buyers, basically customers, and then worked with a division of Interpublic Group called RGA in lower Manhattan over in the Hudson Yards area to develop a sort of an incubator for infrastructure technology companies, helping them look more like incumbents and then pairing them up through our connections and also RGA's connections to some of the largest industrial companies in the world. And so we're continuing to sort of invest in those companies and look at other companies in similar spaces that are of that sort of stage or vintage, along with what we normally do in the late stage and mid-stage venture arenas. Slowly but surely, it seems that as time progresses, more and more attention is being paid to Infratech. I've been working in the infrastructure sector on the technology side for almost 25 years now. So what I can tell you with some level of certainty is that it's really helpful to have an institutional partner that's both a customer and a financial partner. Over the past 25 years, some of the major industrial companies have developed pretty robust investment arms to work side by side with firms like Macquarie and other similar organizations to look for and identify compelling technologies that might provide a unique benefit to that partner, that customer. This goes for institutional infrastructure investors, too, though their exposure is limited. Macquarie and Morrison & Co. are two examples. Another is SIP. The firm's main backer is tech giant Alphabet, Google's parent company. But it has also gotten some funding from some pretty big infrastructure names, like Ontario Teachers Pension Plan and Stepstone Group. Here's Jonathan Weiner again. By now, I think there is an acknowledgement that just like every other asset class it has been disrupted by technology over the last several decades. You know, it's harder to disrupt physical assets with technology and you know, just software, but it's, it's happening and it's happening in a real way. So there, there are a number of people who from either side, if you will, are sort of moving into this area. We're seeing larger and larger you know, decarbonization funds, for example, that, you know, while they can take corporate equity risk and underwrite technology risk, have the balance sheets and the desire to also build assets. The challenge, I think, for those folks will be to, to, to bring in some of the best practices of project equity, how to manage developers, how to build new projects, contract new projects. And on the flip side, you know, you've seen a number of probably three or four at this point of sort of the top 
20 large infrastructure investors who created dedicated pools of capital for this type of investing. I, I think the challenge that they face is they have to bring in house and then figure out how they're going to get comfortable underwriting technology risk, which traditionally for many of them is not something that they spend a lot of time doing. Or does it even have to be brought in house? If you remember, Morrison and Co. chose not to. Now you talked about in-house or outhouse or you know what I mean, or partnering rather. I think venture is a very specialized activity. And I think that was a conclusion Morrison made. Dan on again. I think their realization was is that the expertise and networks, insights, and pattern recognition of venture, and because of all our partners here have 20 plus years of experience and track is doing it, would be really hard to replicate in any short time frame. You really do need to put a team on the ground and have someone that's doing a long time to teach them over a course of say 10 years. And along the way, you make a lot of mistakes and lose a lot of money on the way. That's not how it was ever communicated to me by them. But from a risk mitigation standpoint, I think the appeal of putting a new team on the ground, maybe with some experience, losing a whole bunch of money up front, figuring out why, and then getting it back. that That's a pretty tough thing, I think. One thing that seems to be a consensus, however, is that any infrastructure player looking to get involved in Infratech better have a very flexible mandate. So Morrison Co. is a general partner, but they have different mandates that are flexible that allow them to partner with us. And I think that gives them a huge advantage over other standalone general partner infrastructure investors whether it's some infrastructure PE firm in New York or Europe or London, the fact that they're flexible and can do something like this is a huge advantage. The other firms that can do this, wouldn't call them firms, but they might be a sovereign wealth fund that has an infrastructure group. So I think in the terms of the folks that are kind of quote unquote GPs, those seem like the ones that have the flexible mandates that are able to be the most forward-looking and aggressive. And we started to partner with Morrison Co. You know, six, seven years ago, and I think they were one of the more forward-looking people. Matthew Morgan agrees. I think if you're a straight GP that is investing and you've got a, a really tightly mandated infra product, it's pretty hard for you to move outside of that to deploy capital anywhere else. That goes for Jonathan Weiner too. It requires a flexible mandate. You have to be able to invest in corporate equity, but you also have to be able to invest at the asset level. It requires some contractual um, innovations, oftentimes like asset SPVs for this type of infrastructure are sort of first of their kind or sort of bespoke in their contracting agreements. So it's, it's a lot of work. Of course, the question remains, as we move into an economic slowdown, how much will infra players be willing to spend on tech? And what are the risks? Matthew Morgan again. When you ask me, what's the limit or what's the, the risk? I'd say it would be very much capital, don't overcapitalize because your initial, your burn rate has to be low while you're finding these early adopters in a relatively conservative buyer market. And I think there's only a certain number of investors currently in the world that want to play in that space. Many of them are family offices because they like the risk return profile. And some of them would be growth equity coming down. Some of them would be venture maybe going up. But in many instances, it does fall into a bit of a niche. Nevertheless, Weiner is hopeful. I think in, in many ways, investing in technology is an optimistic act, right? When you are investing in venture capital or in new forms of the application of technology to real assets in this case, you know, you're fundamentally being optimistic. And we certainly are in, in a world where people just from a macro sense, I think feel more, there's more risk in the world and are probably more pessimistic than they were, for example, a year ago. And from an interest rate perspective, they, what you're building are yield oriented assets, you know, depending on the nature of that yield and how it's contracted, that may or may not be a good thing in a rising inflation environment. But, you know, with that having been said, 
there are also some really strong support for this area as well. So there's plenty of white space here. And I think what it'll hopefully create by having this community of a handful of sponsors that are in this area, I think it'll become a must have for many limited partners. They're going to ask themselves, hey, if infrastructure is X billion dollars in my portfolio, what percentage of X should really be in next generation infrastructure, you know, technology enabled infrastructure relative to core and core plus. So, you know, there are, you know, macroeconomic headwinds, but at the same time, I think the work is good work. The the projects are creating real value. And as long as it's done sort of a structurally thoughtful way, I think that this section of the industry continues to grow in the next few years. Who joins in on that growth and in what capacity remains to be seen? Will one of your funds step up to the plate? If you want to learn more about Infratech, be sure to check out our past web pieces on the topic at infrastructureinvestor.com. That's all for today. If you want to hear more episodes of Spotlight, you can check us out wherever you listen to podcasts or at PEI Group's various titles online. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a rating and review. For Infrastructure Investor, I'm Isabel O'Brien. Thanks for listening.